it's, uh, it's interesting. It's been years since I've even thought about some of those songs. And, um, but, uh, well, I can say more about that in a second. First, um, there is someone who, in all of our Thanksgiving last night, who we didn't actually uh, give thanks for, and I want to make sure that we do that this morning. A lot of what happened um, last night during the uh, 10-year celebration banquet and activities are really the work and brainchild of Esteban and Megan. And uh, this kind of stuff just seems to, like, come out of them. And uh, then they just work extremely hard um, to serve you and to make it all happen. And not only that, Esteban has been on our staff for five years now. And uh, they both have been at our church longer than that, but he's been on our staff when he started seminary five years ago in 2016. And uh, just as a small token of our appreciation, Megan, we missed you dearly last night. We really wish you could have been with us. We at least have it all on video. And uh, um, we thank you for all your work to pull that off. And Esteban, did you hear what I was saying at least? We can't ever get anything right around here. (laughs) But uh, we love you and I'd like you to come forward. Thank you. Well, turn with me, if you would, to where we started 10 years ago, right about now. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. I think I said 19 and 20, but it's actually 20 and 21. See, you still can't get anything right around here. The word of the Lord says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, some translations would say, all that we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise You that Your grace has been at work in us for these ten years, for some ten years plus, for some less, but... We pray for Your grace by the power of Your Holy Spirit indwelling Your children that a year from now and two years from now and five years from now and ten years from now we would look back and see the folly of Your ten and how You've matured us and changed us from within by Your Spirit over another ten years. We pray that You would encourage us in what You want from us from Your truth as a church. Thank You for all the failures and sin that You have used for good to conform us to the image of Your Son. Thank You for what was good in our hearts and the faith that we had in the beginning and the grace You gave us to do something that none of us had done before. Thank You for the fruit You've borne through weakness and failure, and also through faithfulness. Thank You as our obedience is deep and You have done exactly what You have said You would do, that You have brought blessing. Thank You that we are not what we once were and we pray for Your grace to make us what we ought still to be. May it be that we cling to Your words. 
always. And may you get glory for yourself and may your glory and your honor be the chief desire of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 is a doxology. It's a doxology. It is a praising and glorying in who God is and what God is doing and has done. And so when you see this occasionally in Scripture, there's been you know, some stretches of truth written down, and then all of a sudden Scripture turns and says something like, Now to him be. And uh, in this case, you have now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And then to him be glory. To him be glory. To him be the chiefest honor and the chiefest place, the supreme place, the center and highest, most exalted place in the church and in Christ. And so, uh, when I started 10 years ago, the message was titled, Striving for the Glory of God. And I do really believe that when we started, there was a longing in our hearts to strive for the glory of God. And so when I talk about our failures, I don't really think about it as if everything was a failure or everything that was wrong about, was wrong about us. I just think there were some things that were off. And if we had maintained those things a lot more things would have been off down the road. And, um, but God was gracious to us. And, and here's how I want us to think about this morning. Here's how I want us to think about this morning. For the glory of God, we are not what we expected we would be. Summarizing 10 years. We are not what we expected we would be. But we are better than we could have imagined. We are not what we expected we would be, but we are better than we could have imagine. And I also am mindful of the the fact that not everybody came to our church on day one or in year one and thought all the same things we all, some of us thought, you know, and so I don't want to oppress you with even those things, but uh, rooted in the heart of our church and what we were doing, um, there were some things that we expected. And here's, I think, what I want you to, where I want to focus this morning in that phrase, according to the power at work within us. And here's why I want us to focus on the phrase within us, because when we started, there were some things that we wanted that were all focused on what was without us. And by without us, I mean something outside of our hearts. There was something outside that we wanted. And... Um, the kinds of things that we wanted that were exterior to us. You know, we wanted to have a church that was successful and grew fast. And of course, our heart was that we wanted to reach people quickly and urgently. And, and, and some of that was good, but um, some of it was smoke and mirrors. You know, and we wanted good stage production and we wanted... Um, and we wanted our worship to be true, and, and I believe a lot of it was. It really was. And it was very sincere and, and full of zeal. We wanted to leave our mark. You know? We wanted to be in a, you know, the next big thing. And so we're not what we expected. We are not what we expected to be. And of course, we wanted people's lives changed by the power of the gospel. Of course, at the same time, we wanted life transformation. We wanted sinners rescued. And that was the work we were doing. That was the work we were doing. But for us to actually grow up to maturity in Christ, there was a lot that had to go and there was a lot more that had to be learned. And more had to be learned that was unknown (laughs) than what we knew that was bad. 
And so we're not what we expected we would be. And I'll just tell you, I am so thankful that we are not what we expected we would be. I mean, I am completely allergic to that now. Completely allergic to any of that now. And I can spot it and sense it and smell it from 10,000 miles away in every single church and pastor I talk to. Because it just is a stench in my nostrils. And, And so I'm so glad that we are not what we expected we would be. And so what God had in store for us that was actually according to what He actually says He actually would do, (laughs) is to do far more abundantly and just a little bit, far more abundantly than all we could ask or think I mean, if you just think for a second about what we are now and what's been changed within us over the course of these years, none of us could have envisioned it. None of us could have envisioned the kinds of things that God would have done in our heart and life. The truths we would learn. The Scripture that was still on the table that we hadn't even really considered that much yet because we're still learning and growing and being mastered by this book that God wrote. The convictions that would deepen our understanding of repentance. Not just life change, but the kind of life change. Not just repentance, but the depth of repentance. It's true. It's work that's been done within us. That's the thing that God has done that is beyond all that we ask, have asked or thought or imagined. And I know that even as I say that, not, that's not even everyone's experience here. Not everyone's been here for the same length of time and went through the same process, and, and that's okay. But I know this, That from whenever you came to whatever is coming in the future, that this actually is exactly what God is going for. He's going to, wants to do something within you according to the power, the Holy Spirit that is resident within you. And there's a lot that needs to go a lot further. And if you can think about how far it needs to go, it needs to go further than that. And so my hope for you and for every person who's joined us along the way is praise God for you. We're thankful for every person who's come on this journey of grace with us. We're thankful that you are with us now. And we are thankful that... And we pray that it will be your testimony someday down the road that Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, according to the power work within you, you would be able to say and acknowledge that what God says here is that He is able to do far more abundantly than all you could ask or think. All you could ask or imagine according to the power at work within you. I hope you haven't settled for a ceiling of what you think is spiritual maturity. hope you haven't kind of set your target at where you are in your spiritual growth. I hope your vision is Christ. And my commitment to you as you pray for me and by God's grace is to labor like a woman in childbirth until Christ be formed in you. 
in things of Christ that are so far beyond where you currently are. Things of Christ that are so far beyond where I currently am. Certainly we are not what we expected to be. I have a couple journals, one's from 2010, one's from 2011, and I've gotten away from how much I used to write in my journals, but I want to read you something, and it's a little raw. It's a little raw. You know, this is from November 23rd, 2011. So this is, we planted September 25th, 2011, so October, November, December. This is three months after the life of our church plant, after we just started, and we're just trying to, <laughs> trying to make it. So, and I hope you can, you know, I've talked about some of the things that you'll hear in here before. You'll hear some of the things that are wrong, and the point isn't to judge that. The point is to think about how we're not we're not what we expected we would be. Okay. God, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get what you are doing here. Things I'm praying for and you are doing the exact opposite. I prayed for a generous giver to help us be sustainable. And one of our greatest giving couples left. <laughs> God, we've prayed for the sake of your gospel to be sustainable, and we're still not even close. God, we've prayed for people to be saved and have seen none. We tried to love a couple in the community, never to hear from them again. We can't even make our minimal monthly budget. It's hard to believe right now that our church will make it. It's hard to believe that Jesus is building His church when we can't even pay our bills. This next statement, in the context of the network of churches that we were once a part of, it wasn't totally uncommon for some of the churches just to skyrocket out of the gate. Over time, the law of averages humbled you know, even that network of churches, but um, it wasn't totally uncommon either. And so I wrote this, everyone else has provision coming out their ears. We have nothing, and what we do have will be gone in a couple months. God, I feel lost and cold. I feel like I can't see clearly the road ahead. I don't feel like getting out of bed, and I could care less about Christmas being this Sunday right now. Where are you? What are you doing? I'm not seeing and believing your goodness. How could these things be good? It just seems that people keep bailing us out instead of you providing what our church needs. Everything feels like striving after the wind. But these are your promises. Psalm 25.10 All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. Psalm 34.17 and 19 When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Matthew 7, 11, God gives good things to those who ask him. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In John 4, 35, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. We are not what we expected we would be. And I think you can hear in my kind of journal writing there that what I was wrestling with was the reality of what I expected to be happening was not happening. And I don't know why I ever expected it to be happening. You know, it's like, 
I was kind of just ignorant. I mean, I remember thinking, I don't really know how this works. I guess it just happens. But we're better than we ever could have imagined. I have five things that I want to encourage us to continue to think about as important parts of the culture of our church's life. Our church has committed doctrine. We really have values that we uphold regularly, the preaching of the word. Um, we believe God uses and answers and listens to our prayer. You know, we worship. We worship Christ. And we, you know, there's these things that are core values. And we have committed doctrine that undergirds all, it has to undergird all of these things. You know, because otherwise... Even something like worshiping Christ. Well, what Christ are we worshiping? See, doctrine has to undergird that. Or even, you know, we could say unapologetic preaching. Or, you know, we used to say proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. And we really still hold to that reality. Nothing's changed about that. But doctrine has to undergird the nature of what we're preaching. And so we have committed doctrine, and then there's certain values that we uphold that are critical to the life of any church. And then there's kind of just the cultural family life of the church and how we think about godliness. And how, what our lives actually become, both individually and together. And together, I have a few thoughts for us that I've actually given to you recently, but when I gave them to you, I really felt like, this is probably something that we need to talk about a little bit more because I flew through it pretty quickly. And I want to encourage us to... And, 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 and these are things that have to be born out of our heart. They're things that have to be born out of our heart. And I think you'll see that, but here's what I wrote down and have told you before, but I want to remind you of and further in what we want as big picture pieces of the nature of the way we have our church life together, okay? We want simplicity, not sophistication. Simplicity, not sophistication. And in, in the Reformed church today, and I, I, just, I mean, it's just true. In the Reformed, you, you may not be aware of it, but what, what, when, a, when a Reformed, when a church that believes doctrine like we believe, the doctrines of the Reformation, that came out of the Reformation, um, when a church believes those doctrines, today, um, when that church has really arrived at maturity is when the educated start arriving. It's when the lawyers and the doctors and those with the um, most brilliant brains start arriving. That's when the church has a sense of its maturity. And this fills the Reformed world today. And so what you have really is an effort at being so sophisticated that you can kind of titillate the intellectual pride of the smart. And I don't want sophistication. I don't want intellectual sophistication. It's rooted in pride, and I don't want anything to do with it, and I don't want our church to have anything to do with it. I'm not against smart people, but I want them to repent and be humble about their intellect. Knowledge is wonderful. I want to know God just as much as anyone else here, I hope. I don't want us puffed up about it. I don't want us to turn into snobs of sophistication. And so, simple speaking of truth. Simple speaking of truth. And this is, uh, I don't know what else, the Apostle Paul, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. What the smart want, what the educated want, is plausible words of wisdom so that their intellect 
can be satisfied by how plausible the words are so they don't have to live by faith but can stand on how smart they are. We don't want that. The gospel message is simple. Christ died for sinners. And I want that to satisfy every blue-collar worker and every white-collar job. I want that to satisfy every, every, uh, every place in heart along any intellectual or educated spectrum. And the Word of God is not complicated in every essential truth and most that's even beyond the most essential. Certainly, some things are hard to understand. The Apostle Peter said that of the Apostle Paul in his writings. Certainly, that is true. Certainly, we're continuing to build and be mastered by Scripture. And we keep learning and we follow Scripture where it takes us and there's more for us to always learn than what we've known before. And I hope you have that heart as you view Scripture that there's more for you to learn and grow in the knowledge of Scripture for you to apply to your own heart and life. But I'll tell you, most of the time what we need is pretty simple and it's right in front of us and we need to obey God and have faith and that's what we don't want to do and so we make it very sophisticated. Simple speaking of truth. Simple Gospel message. The Gospel's not easy. It calls you entirely out of yourself and your sin to follow a Christ who calls you to come and die. But that's not hard to get your mind around. Simplicity, not sophistication, meaning also simple prayers and simple gatherings. Do you know what our standard was for our church gatherings on Sunday morning when we first started? I just have laughed about this for years, but... I'll tell you, it was the most oppressive thing. It just took me a while to figure it out. Do you know what our standard was for when we met on a Sunday morning? Do you know what the standard of what we were going for was? So awful. I just have sympathy for anyone who still thinks this is a good idea because of how awful and oppressive it is for them. Earth shattering. Window rattling. Life-altering every single Sunday morning. That's awful. Say, well, in one sense, it's like, well, of course, we're, we're here to worship the living God and to hear from His truth, and we want our lives changed degree by degree, week by week, but I'm not sure that's the standard we're going for. I'm not sure that's how God's saints grow. If you're anything like me, it's like you get like one little grain of truth that kind of sticks with you here a little bit, and you kind of slowly think about it for a while, and eventually you figure out how to apply it in some way in your life and to really do something with it. And, you know, it's like then you kind of, and you get like a little bit more, there's like a little grain over here, you know? I mean, just think about all the sermons you've entirely forgotten, and I have too. <laughs> you know? Simple prayers and simple gatherings that look like a simple family shaped after a simple gospel and a simple word of God. A church that's shaped by this gospel and shaped by this word isn't going to be sophisticated. Simple people worshiping Jesus. You know, one of the paradigm shifts that's needed to shift in the church for some time is, and I'll just tell you, these mentalities don't just exist in megachurch world. I have talked with plenty of, you know, Baptist pastors of reasonably sized churches, and this is their mentality. This is the messed up mentality that they carry. There's something very messed up about the flesh that constantly wants to sophisticate things. And and it's like, what programs can, what, how many programs can we get going in order to help this church grow? 
and what's the next new model and what's the next new strategy. I hate the word model when it comes to the church. It's like, I don't know. We're a bunch of sinful saints trying to figure out how to grow in godliness and worship God. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's like our model. <laughs> okay, you know? I mean, I get so tired. I get so tired of the word model. Like we're trying to be a model family in Christ. You know? You see how simple this all is? It's just so simple. If we just would remove the pride and nonsense from it all, it's just so simple. But we don't want a church that's sophisticated with an endless number of programs. We don't. The church is people. The goal is not to just find a spot to put everybody into and run a machine. It's not a machine. Who wants to be a cog? Do you want to be treated like a cog in a wheel? I'm not even sure what that is, but I'm not even sure if I'm using that cliche right, but you understand what I'm saying anyways. People aren't machines. People aren't programs. People aren't sophisticated. Simple, not sophistication. We want humility, not pride. I was, as I was looking back through my journals, it's really, it's really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting to see how I was thinking back then and what my relationship with the Lord was like back then and a lot of things I love about it. You know, just I love that I have journals of my prayers and all these things and my life with God and truths I was learning and things I was thinking about back then. It's, it's really delightful to have a record of that. And then sometimes I'm just like, man, that was just so awful. I mean, uh, I don't, many of you won't really know this, but at one time, the building that's now Rural King over by Sam's Club was the old Walmart building like years and years and years and years ago. I don't know how long ago, but it, that building sat empty for the longest time. I mean, probably like a decade or something, years. It was a long time. And uh, when, we, when we were here and we were always trying to figure out in the early days, where's our church going to meet? And uh, there was this point where I actually, wrote, I actually wrote something in our journal, Lord, I just feel like you're you know, leading me to just pray for the old Walmart building. What in the world would we need the old Walmart building for? What, for the 10,000 people who were going to come to our church in Bloomington, Indiana? Like, what in the world? And then other things, it was just, you know, other things, because we really didn't have any idea what we were doing and trying to plant a church, but um, some things I was just told, here, just pray for this, because we would say, well, hey, what are some things we should pray for uh, like when I was up at the Harvest Training Center. And, and let me take a side note. We can't be embarrassed in the fear of man sense about the story of our church and where we came from. We can't be embarrassed in a fear of man sense. We should have some level of shame. Those who actually were a part of that, closest to it, um, primarily those who are all now your staff and elders. <laughs> Who have, who have learned and grown from such nonsense, you know. Um, we can't be just, we can't be embarrassed in a fear of man sense, you know. When I was going back through, I hope I get back on the train track of them telling us things to pray for. Remember that. But I was going back through old pictures, you know. And there's a picture of me and with James McDonald and a picture of me with Rick Donald who... Um, you know, James is obviously the senior pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel for a long time. And, and um, you know, I looked at that picture and I had no resentment towards him. I, I really just felt sympathy and pity. And um, there was a lot of things years and years ago, going all the way back to 2002 and 2003, where he really helped me study my Bible. He really helped me read my Bible. 
he really helped me know a lot of really foundational and important truths in Scripture that began to guide my young Christian life. And I'm not, I don't want to be embarrassed about the fact that I have a picture close with James McDonald. I don't want to be embarrassed and a fear. I mean, that is part of the story of our church. And we can't try to hide that and act like, and then all of a sudden get scared and act like that. These kinds of things that were, had some really nasty roots in them that took us a little while to see through and figure out and repent of and untangle and become something different. Um, even as simple as me sitting here and talking to you and preaching and just almost never looking at my notes. You know? It's just a part of the story. You know, and when new members come to our church and we tell them the story of our church, we shouldn't feel like we have to stutter all over ourselves to try to tell the honest story. Here's the story. Here's what we learned. Here's what God taught us. God was very merciful to us. I don't know why, just because that's who He is and He chose to do that with us and we you know, or have learned some things. And one of the things we've learned is we want humility and not pride. Going back to my prayer list, um, one of the things that I was told to pray for is 100 adults on your launch team. Esteban was taking me to the car mechanic this week, and I had my journals with me because I was kind of just flipping through as, as we were driving to, the, to pick up the truck, and I ran across that, and, and Esteban said, well, I guess we're still praying for that. <laughs> oh, goodness. We don't have to be a church that has all the answers. We don't have to be a church that has the, the plan and the shtick figured out for how to grow this thing. It's okay for us to know that there's a lot that we don't know. and to walk humbly in that reality. And to understand that um, slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady wins the race. We're not going to change the world in a day. You know? I don't know if you noticed, but all of Bloomington hasn't been turned upside down since we've been here for 10 years. but faithfulness and work over the long haul. And God will do beyond all that we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. Humility, not pride. And I want to say this. That means in the climate in which we live in this nation today, we have to constantly point the finger at ourselves. We must constantly point the finger at ourselves. If we don't want to just be a church full of pride, you know, that learns some new doctrines and, you know, just ends up in self-righteousness and dead orthodoxy. We have to point the finger at ourselves. Everything that's wrong, everything that's wrong, we have to think the church has participated in this, even led the culture in this. It wasn't like everything just went wrong and the church really stood fast on the truth and then all of a sudden we were surrounded by enemies. We lost God's law in the church eons ago. And we started blaming everybody but ourselves. Humility. Not pride. We want a loving community. It's really simple. The church really is just a loving family on a mission to see souls saved for the glory of God and grown up into all the commandments of God. In Scripture, you have nearly 41 another's 
love one another. You know, Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. why we try to learn to give good man hugs around here. And by the way, our church gives way better man hugs than a lot of my pastor friends do. And every time I see them and give them a hug and they go, you don't love me with brotherly affection? I gross you out that bad. And then I criticize them for how bad their hugs are. (laughs) And I just thank God that we have love with brotherly affection in our church. And I know that they don't. And I long for them to have more of it. I long for them to have more of it. Love one another with brotherly affection. I hope that you never stop thinking about this church all week long and about the people and what they're going through and what they might need prayed for. And I hope you constantly think about who you could reach out to to send a text to or send a or a phone call or and I just hope that I just hope that the love of the church in your mind and how you can give yourself to her consumes you all week long. I just don't know how you can be a Christian and keep the church at arm's length. It's the church of Jesus Christ, His bride. The church of the living God. In Ephesians chapter 3, in the context, it's the plan of God to display His manifold wisdom in the church. I just don't know how you can Think about the church of Jesus Christ and neglect it. Neglect her. I don't know how you can claim Christ and think that church is attendance. It's just a lot of people here who need your love. We need your love. We want to give our love to you. I want to encourage you to love the church more than its health. And I'll just tell you, you know, (laughs) I know you'll go, well, this isn't entirely true, but from my perspective, there's way a lot of truth to this. I just think that in the history of our church, um, the love that we have in the life of our church is because a lot of people have chosen to love our church more than its health. And one way that I am very particularly thankful for that is I think a lot of the story of our church as a congregation has been very, very patient with me. Don't shake your heads too strongly. I think it's a lot of people being very, very patient with me. And I'm very mindful of that. And I don't think we would have the love that we have if you didn't do that, if you didn't love me more than my health, more than my maturity, more than my ability to be a godly man, or more than my ability to be the pastor that God wants me to be. And I think that's just what we have to give to one another. That's what we have to give to one another. And uh, a lot of our love has grown through suffering. You know, it's pretty hard to be discontent and a grumbler and criticize and be self-righteous and judgmental towards someone in the church body who's suffering. (laughs) Suffering is kind of what gets rid of a lot of that nasty stuff in our hearts and actually deepens our love and affection because we just move forward in compassion and pity and how can we serve and help? Our love also grows through battle. 
And I just think the, the, the stable peace that we have in the life of our church right now is a real blessing, but I want to remind you that it may not always be so, and there may be more battles to fight. And the battles that we have fought have deepened the love of this church, and the battles we will fight in the future have deepened the love of this church, and there's some sense in which we're always battling. the loving community. How could you plug 41 and others in Scripture into a program? The one and others of Scripture as it regards to the people of God are personal and intimate. They're human. They're not machines. Scripture is not a machine. And then this, our love, the loving community, this is our witness. You know, one of the most overlooked passages in Scripture in regards to the nature of a church's witness, in regards to even our evangelism, John chapter 13, verse 34 and verse 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you just think about a love full of mercy and patience and forbearance. You know, a lot of this going to ha- got to happen in your marriage before it's going to happen in our church. Love one another just as I have loved you. What a great marriage verse. You also are to love one another. And then here's the peace that is the witness of the church's love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Moving a little more quickly, we want love of God from the heart at all costs. The greatest commandment. Love of God from the heart at all costs. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The love of God is not merely an outward form. It's not behavior modification. You can't outwardly behave yourself in the love of God. The love of God has to be born in your heart because you know Jesus Christ has loved you and has saved you, and ransomed you, and you think on it, and you think on it, and you thank Him for it, and you praise Him for it, and you think about your sin, and how He loved you right in the middle of it, and you think about His faithfulness to you all the years of your life, and you think about how He uh, elected you before the foundation of the world, and you think about how He set His love upon you, and you love Him because He first loved you, and you give Him obedience to all His commands. Because His commands define how to love Him. The commands are rules of relationship with God. You can't outwardly form that if your heart doesn't want it. I want your heart to want to do what God wants you to do. God wants your heart to want to do in love to Him what He wants you to do at all costs. At all costs. And I'm just going to move quickly to the end. We want godly repentance and faith. We want godly repentance and faith. Luke 3, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You know, the Christianity, Christian environment we live in today is entirely a reduction of Scripture. It's all a reduction of Scripture. It's like there's five commands, five things to do in Scripture, and if you think about those five things and do them, that's the essence of the Christian life. And the more radical you do them, and the more zealous you do them, the more you must love Jesus. And it's all a reduction. We want all of Christ. We want all of Scripture. We want all 
that God teaches us and all that He commands us. And we want to think about what is Scripture teaching us in all of the things that we never can figure out and we just skip over in the Bible and reduce our Christianity down to a handful of things that are our obedience. And I'm not talking about a completely lame evangelical church. I'm talking about the churches that we often look to for health and it's like Christ gets cut in half and that's good enough for us. Maybe He gets quartered. I want all of them. And I want us to want all of Him and all of His commands. And in our disobedience to all of Him, godly repentance and faith and a godly sorrow, a godly sorrow that characterizes us. I'm not saying we just jump off a, a cliff into a pit of despair. That's not, that's not godly sorrow. I'm saying we have a godly sorrow that characterizes us because we see ourselves before the full law of God and how far short we still fall and then we still look to the cross of Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and we cry out for mercy and God's Spirit actually does something within us and we grow a little bit at a time. And that little bit of a time adds up to something far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to to the power at work within us. And this is the work that God does by His Spirit to get glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, in and through the work of Christ in us. To Him be glory. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all, through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Stand with me. God, we praise You for how far You've brought us. We praise You that You've humbled us and that You've taught us how to worship You better according to Your truth. We praise You that You've changed lives and marriages and children and You've saved souls and that You're sanctifying souls and You're preparing us to stand before our God holy and blameless and above reproach. We thank You. And for all that You are still making us, we pray that You would help us to cling to Your ability to do what Scripture says You can do. Do beyond what we can imagine ourselves to become. We pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.